Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 43rd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend, another co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, when you're picking like a high fantasy character archetype in like a game or Dungeons and Dragons, do you pick like a warrior or a hunter or a wizard? Like, what do you, what do you like to, what class do you usually go for? So in D&D, I kind of play, I play a lot of different things in D&D. I feel like when I'm playing like ARPGs though, which is what I've been doing a lot of recently, I really like mages. I just like running around and like blowing up the whole field at once. It seems like the most efficient way to dispatch of many random enemies quickly. You just run through, you cast a big blizzard or a big fireball. It's great. Yeah. And then you get to cast giant ice blizzards and uh, flesh and blood and it all works out. It's all, it's all consistent for you. <laughs> what about you? What do you play? Uh, I was a wizard stand for a long time. I Growing up, I always liked wizards. I was like, they're smart and they cast cool wizardy spells. I want to be smart and cast cool wizardy spells. Wizard. Now, as an older and more refined gentleman that I am, I'm much more attracted to rogues and just kind of like the honor among thieves and, uh, you know, the the Robin Hood type characters with like, you know, you steal from the rich and give to the poor. But, you know, you just you play by your own rules. You're a loose renegade that hides in the shadows and blends in. But at the end of the day, you're helping people who you want to help and getting by i just i like that archetype now sure that that makes sense so if only there was a cool rogue type character in flesh and blood hey we got assassins cool rogues hmm? assassins don't very- feel very <laughs> roguey i guess they're just no. evil right there's no there's no good assassin right i feel like assassin is like in my opinion like an archetype of a rogue like like if like assassin's not really like a D and D class, I guess I would feel like it would fall under rogue. I was thinking rangers would like. I think Azalea is the most rogue character, right? Yeah, she she's just like a ranger. Yeah, she's like very. I I feel like maybe she is rogue actually. She seems pretty roguey, but yeah, maybe I'll become an Azalea stand one day. Yeah, I think she's pretty good right now, so maybe it's a good time to become an Azalea stand. Yeah, so I guess let's see if there are 10 really good cards from this set that might help Azalea. Are you ready to discuss the top 10 cards or class yeah. constructed from Outsiders? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what do you got at number, what's your 10th tenth most powerful card? 10th is a card that slots right into Azalea. It is Infecting Shot. So uh, Rangers have never really struggled for one for fives with good on hits. Heatseeker comes to mind as like the last really good one they got, but Azalea... I think Heatseeker is fine, but Infecting Shot is you kind of on hit, you get two extra damage, which is great. The Blood Rot token represents two damage. And then you also have that flexibility if you have an extra resource when you activate your Azalea hero power and put it up into your arsenal. You can pay one extra resource to put an aim counter on it, which just gives it plus one. This is, I think the whole cycle is probably good as long as like frailty tokens and inertia tokens are only good in specific matchups or specific situations. A blood rot token that's just two extra damage it's just always going to be good so for that reason infecting shot is the one of those errors that made it on my list in the 10th slot that's fair i did not have an infecting shot on my list it's a very good card i just uh there's just so many arrows you know there's just there's just so many arrows with good on hits it's hard for any one arrow to stand out to me anymore you know it's just you got like red in the ledger and remorseless and 
you know, Bolton shot. You go over to Lexi, you got like chilling ice vein and stuff like that. There's just so many good one for five arrows. But like, I do agree that the the rate, especially like on that one, when it hits, is is very good. Yeah. And I, I do agree. There's a ton of good one for fives and you can't play all the good one for fives. I think that this one is pretty close to as good as Heat Seeker, though. So that's why it made my list. I think like in some spots it's better than Heat Seeker, some spots it's worse. It's just a very, very powerful card. That's fair. My 10th most powerful card is Shakedown. Okay. So, yeah, 10th most powerful card. You know, skip a few numbers and uh, jump to somewhere higher on the list. No, that's that's number 10. Because (laughs) you need to activate a reaction for this card to have any text, right? So, like, sure, you're always oozering it in and oozery specialization. But, like, it's still a hoop you have to jump through and as you know i think we're finding out more and more i'm less and less of fans of hoops in in flesh and blood (laughs) i kind of just want to do a thing and have it like work um so that being said it's it's still an incredibly powerful effect if your opponent doesn't respect it you still get to use uh usury's uh hero ability as the attack reaction banish it it's now a six powered attack and if it hits you get to pick a color and banish a card of that color if you can figure out a way to give either surgical extraction or um, leave no witnesses go again, and they block that one out, and then this hits, you can then fulfill the contracts with that and get your silver that way, which is kind of interesting. But most of the time, you're just going to be attacking with whatever stealth card after blocking out with one or two cards, um, and then swapping this in and trying to disrupt your opponent's hand. I will say, after playing with this a lot, um, since you have to name the color first, sometimes if your opponent's like blue flooded, it's not super impactful. And if you're choosing red, sometimes your opponent will like it does have its awkward points where I I felt like this would could be like just like take over a game. Your opponent basically can like has an atrocious turn. But a lot of decks have felt a lot more resilient than I would expect them to be in the face of like this potent of hand disruption, which is interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The fact that you're not looking at their hand before you pick the card, that would be very, very good. Whereas this is just like, the effect is reasonably worse than that. It's probably better. It's probably reasonably better than they get to choose what card they banish, but it's definitely not. You get to look at their whole hand and just pick a card and banish it. Sometimes you'll hit like the perfect card, but other times you will wish you named red or blue instead of whichever one you named. And even occasionally you could wish you named yellow. Like maybe they have an art of war that you would take or something. Um, this card did make my list. It's uh, reasonably higher than 10. I put it at number five, but I could see being talked down a little bit on it. I think the reaction requirement is a little easier to meet than I I'm guess. giving it credit for. Yeah, because both flick knives and the assassin shoes both count for this. So if you just attack with this and they don't block, you can just like activate your shoes, give it go again and trigger the thing, or you can activate flick knives and throw a knife at them to trigger it. So that's it, fair. it doesn't have, in my opinion, it is a require or it is like, it's not always going to be on, but you can almost always make it on if you want it to be. Yeah. I think really, and just the play testing that I've had with Uzuri over the past few weeks and played against her, like I said, just heroes hands wind up being more resilient than I thought they would be. And especially if the, like like a, a deck like azalea they have a face down arsenal and they're on death dealer like you're not even really threatening like 
you're potentially not even threatening the most powerful thing they're doing on that turn, even if you banish like a red arrow or something like that. So uh, I st- that being said, I still am very high on the card. I think it's going to be being played in every Usury deck from now until the rest of time. And yeah, it's on my list at number 10. Makes sense. So I said it was number five on my list. So I've done two cards. You've done one card. So do we go back to you then for your number nine? Sure. Do you want to? My number nine is Melting Point. Okay. Yeah, Melting Point. Go on. I do not. Go on. Okay. <laughs> it's a four pump that blocks for three. Do you know how hard it is to find a pump thing in Ranger that blocks for three? It's very hard. There's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of them at all. So I think it just made my list at number nine just for the fact that it's a pump that blocks for three is like 90% of it. And then like the other 10% is that you just get to like ruin some number of Katsu's life and Benji's life and anybody who's playing a dagger and just make it so that their deck is way less. The assassins wind up continuing to play um, things like flick knives as their arm slot because there are just not as many good arms for assassins yet it's less impactful against them but it's still very good like you're still forcing them to get through a concealed blade at some point if they want to replenish that uh dagger and i don't think ninjas are playing i guess ninjas are still playing concealed blade but it's doesn't seem like but that they they're not playing kadachis in their cyborg usually, and putting a whole yeah. extra kadachi in your cyborg just for they're ready for the melting point. point. They just have the kadachi in the sideboard. I don't think that's going to be uh, happening too much. I don't think that really is what the matchup is about. But yeah, just like very good rate, potentially very good ability in a box for three. We did it. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't put this card on my list, but I think it. It could easily earn a spot on my list. I feel like there's like, in my opinion, there were tons of good cards and we even cheated and kind of combined a couple cards into one card. And I still just like didn't have space to fit all the powerful cards. I think we'll see a reasonable amount of constructive play in onto the list. And melting point, the fact that it blocks three almost feels like a mistake because we haven't seen any non-attacks that block for three except the majestic dead eye that's a yellow and like very deliberately come like, to fight. Sure, sure, sure. But these cards that like you're getting full efficiency and you're getting a block three out of your non-attack action. And that's not something you see very often. Like if you look at Oath of the Arc Knight or Come to Fight, you're like getting one point below rate for the like the three card or the three points of value for your card plus one per extra resource. And just getting the full value out of a non-attack action is yeah, like I said, not something we see on a three block very often. And you also look at like nimbleism or uh minnowism or earth or surge all these cards are you're you're paying you're paying by only having a two block instead of getting uh, a three block out of your pump and this one also has extra upside where like like you t- were talking about with the aim counter you actually do get a killer weapon sometimes so yeah. yeah it's like the command and conquer of non-attack action ranger cards because it's just like an above rate high powered thing that also blocks for three for some reason so you know, anytime something blocks for three and has nothing but upside on it as a non-attack action, like that's just not that's I don't think like I can't really think of anything else in the game that really does something like that. So number nine. Cool. My number nine is actually a card you were talking about while talking about this card, uh, Concealed Blade. I think that Lunging Press was a card that didn't really see much play at all. Pretty close to zero because it blocked for two and blocking for two 
sucks. Blocking for three is sweet. Like we talked about with melting point, melting point block for two would just be like a card that's like fringe playable when you want another one for four pump. And probably even then you'd probably just play the the one from Tales of Aria that lets you reload instead. Because Unless you really wanted to counter the ninja menace that's about to take over. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Concealed Blade, it fits a ninja and assassin and both decks are decks that could reasonably want a lunging press if lunging press blocked for three. It's a zero cost for Kadachis. It just kind of does what you want out of a... What you dream, what we've always dreamed lunging press would be. So you get yeah. your one pump on your blue. Sometimes it forces through on hits that are worth like a few extra points and that can make it worth a full card to play. And it's a blue block three. Perfect. Yeah. It's uh, actually number eight on my list. So we're not too far off on this card's uh, evaluation on power level. So you kind of covered it well in ninjas, but it, it's also going to see play in, I think, every assassin deck, uh, you know, from now until they print a better blue block three attack reaction. Um, and it's just the power of it. So the one power on it's kind of a little misleading, I feel like, because the you're not when you're playing it, you're not just going like, aha, we got our point of damage for one. That's like you're never playing the card <laughs> for that reason. You're always paying you're you're always playing it if you are playing it instead of pitching it for forcing through an on hit. And that's really where the card's power level comes through, is like when you're allowing one of your contracts to banish a card or you're attacking with a whelming gust wave after playing the surging strike and your opponent's like aha i have the sink below and you've already cracked your arms or whatever and you're like oh well concealed blade and your opponent's like do i really want to waste a whole nother sink below if they have it on this stupid card or like they're just kind of like oh it just feels like bad when your opponent is pushing things over by like one <laughs> so uh it's just really interesting in that effect yeah, a lot of on hits are worth like a full card of value in this game. Like you look at Snatch, you look at Command and Conquer, you look at Shakedown, you're getting a card of value if they hit, basically. So yeah, pushing them over by one. I guess Command and Conquer and Snatch don't work with it, but a Mass Trigger or a Whelming Gust Wave or Shakedown or Leave No Witnesses. There's a lot of cards that it does work for. And yeah, it's great. And then I will say it loses some equity in Ninja though, because Ninjas are also usually playing Ancestral Recall. Ancestral Empowerment. Yeah, not Ancestral Recall. That card would be pretty good, but Ancestral Empowerment. That's card so, three of a kind in this game. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the time, some people will just block with like a three block and a two block on your Whelming Gust Wave already to play around the Ancestral. So people are usually playing around this the one over pump uh, in Ninjas a lot more than they will be in Assassins, but Assassins also have a lot less impactful on hits usually. So I don't know. Well, for now they do. We'll see. We'll Except see for Shakedown, I guess. <laughs> Shakedown's good. Leave No Witness is good. Surgical Extraction's good. And Poor Assassins are... Their only good cards are Majestics, basically. Yeah, yeah. And Concealed Blade, no exception, also Majestic. Mm. So you said it was your number eight. Yeah. My number eight is Be Like Water. And this card doesn't look that impressive, in my opinion. You just like just a zero for three it's just a head jab but in katsu specifically i don't think fi really wants these ninja cards that don't say draconic on them but in katsu specifically it kind of does a lot when you just lead the turn with this your opponent is pretty heavily incentivized to block this because it both is your starter and then your katsu triggers to go tutor up the follow-up and it's not great when they block it obviously but like it's a head jab that they feel like they have to block that's kind of 
exactly what you want in your deck that's like looking to play longer your aggressive deck that's looking to play longer games looking to encourage your opponent to block out a lot so that's my number eight when they don't block it you go get your you go get your whelming gust wave off your katsu trigger or your bonds of ancestry if that's what you're missing and you name surging strike and just cruising from there it's great okay i'll believe you i've just not been super impressed with the card i guess i haven't played a lot of katsu um i think this falls into a category of cards that i really don't like of like punisher cards where it gives your opponent a lot of agency whether you get the thing and i do not like cards that give your opponents agency as to when you get the thing or not so uh not a fan of this card i can see it seeing play just because it is so important for you to have like surging strikes number seven through nine if you're like already playing the reds and yellows but like you're starting to dig pretty deep to play surging strike seven through nine i feel like at that rate yeah i i will say that the it's a lot better than a yellow surging strike in the hand that has another surging strike already so like both you can discard it to a katsu trigger if your first surging strike hits and a zero for three is a lot better than a two for four just math sure yeah i i, I can get behind that i just feel like decks are already so incentivized to like block the first attack anyways for katsu uh because they usually go like kadachi kadachi and then you go with the attack and so like they're incentivized to block it for mask they're incentivized to block it for katsu's ability and they're incentivized to block it just for like uh like just life preservation like that's the least important but just th- those still three factors are, are are there um so that this card just feels like it's going to be a limited all-star i'm very excited to draft this card and limit a lot but i don't i'm skeptical if it'll wind up being constructed level playable but i could be wrong yeah that that's fair that's reason does block two block two kind of sucks yeah blocking two sucks so it's not on your list right no not on my list but you know it is on my list a different one for five block three arrow uh which is barbed undertow and I don't even know what this one does. Can Barbed Undertow <laughs> is a one-cost red majestic arrow that blocks for three. And it says if Bob if, if Bob if if Barbed Undertow has an aim counter on it, it games when it hits a hero, choose red, yellow, or blue, and sell the start of your next turn. They can't pitch cards of the chosen color. And when this is like so red and ledger makes it so like you can only take one action. There are hands that Barbed Undertow makes it so you can't functionally take a game action on your turn. Like, I've been hit with this in, like, Bravo, for example, and they name blue. And you're like, oh, look at my three blue cards. (laughs) I guess I'm not taking any game actions. Go Your turn. And so, like, the fact that, like, the on hit is just, like, not even like, oh, you can, like, oh, maybe you can make a rune chant. Or like, oh, maybe you can make a seismic surge or swing your weapon or or like play a command and conquer. Like you get that one action and that one action turns out is a lot more than zero actions. And that's not going to be what Barb Undertow does 100% of the time. But I just feel like of the like hoops you have to jump through for this card, this card feels like the one that it's the most worth it to jump through the hoops. Because like this on hit, like I've been saying, it's just like, I think it's the best on hit of a arrow in the game at the moment. 
Yeah, especially against these decks that have like really high blue counts, like Bravo, like Iceland, or like Oldheim. If you get hit by this and they name blue, you're just not able to play the game, basically. So I think this card will really only see play in Azalea because her quiver obviously gives the encounters. I don't know if the other rangers will be particularly interested in this, but in Azalea specifically, it just checks all the boxes for me. Like if you're gonna like use her ability to go into some kind of dominate arrow and give it an aim counter. This seems like the one that it's like right in the ledger and this one, I don't know which one's better. Uh, it probably depends on the matchup. Um, if you'd like know your opponent's always looking, this like very blue heavy. Uh, I think this card's actually better. So it kind of like right in the ledger is good against the decks that kind of like are like aggressive and wanting to go wide and like, so like that's probably that one, but like against the more controlling decks like Guardians, Icelander, um, and things like that, like that's the, I think that's where this arrow is really going to shine. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I honestly haven't even considered this card. The fact that it just took an aim counter, I read it during spoilers and wrote it off, and I didn't reevaluate it. <laughs> I was like, aim it doesn't counters. do anything without an aim counter. Get yeah, it out of yeah, here. Yeah. 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 So where sure. it's like the infecting shot and these other arrows have the the plus one, but that does sound really powerful when you do the thing, and that might be enough to warrant a place in constructed decks and on potentially should be on my list. Okay. Well, what do you got up next then, buddy? Uh my number seven is Death Touch. This card is a very powerful effect. It is one for six, and with an on hit of you can give them a blood rot pox token, blood rot token, mm-hmm. uh, or the other two tokens. You almost always give them the blood rot token, it's just two more damage. Two more damage is great. <laughs> um, Confirmed. It can only be played from Arsenal, so that's a reasonable downside. But the fact that you can play off just a tunic counter makes it really a really clean one card hand, basically, if it's like in your arsenal or spoilers with another card that is on my list uh codex of frailty this back with a tunic counter is one of the strongest plays you can do in <laughs> flesh and blood right now so yeah i agree it's the it's number two on my list death touches yeah wow uh it combines well with everything else we've been talking about with like the attack reactions in assassin um you can even use black tech with spurs with this if they if you get the on hit through um and in ranger it's there i think it's going to see a little bit less play but specifically in like riptide obviously like there's no there's like basically no downside to this card because you just can play any you can just play nimbleism and load this into your arsenal and then play it right away mm-hmm. um but like, most of the time it is just going to be coming back from uh your graveyard like you've been saying or from some other uh source like usually a codex um, whether it be like blood rod if you already have it in your hand inertia if you're super lucky and frailty (laughs) if you know what you're doing and basically it gives it checks another really important box for a lot of these decks which is a popper for decks like dromai obviously or like the illusionists where traditionally like decks like azalea or rangers or like assassins you used to play like three poppers and like command and conquer and like that was it and rangers used to play like the two for six one the bat the bolt the battering bolt. bolt it's just like okay sure you have a it's like whatever but now you get death touch if you want like another like really good six power like effect that you're just happy to have and that's speaking nothing of like it's actual like 
on hits like like you're saying the the blood rod is what people are going to be using most of the time and at that point it's just like a one for eight when it hits but there's going to be circumstances where like you choose the other ones like uh inertia or frailty and they're going to be like really really impactful and i think it's hard for this effect to not be at least eight power when it hits and like i think it's ceiling is like like if, if Katsu has an arsenal or whatever, and he lets us hit, and you choose uh, frailty. If you're pre- preventing bulk uh, Kadachis from swinging, and this card in arsenal gets minus one, so you're basically gaining like three life off of it. So then it's a one for nine. So like, there's just like lots of situations where this is gonna just be subtly, um, like, very very powerful. Yeah, and I think. The thing holding me back from putting it as high as you did, I, I agree with all of your points. Is I think the two heroes that it slots in that are the best heroes up there that can play it, in my opinion, Lexi and Azalea. I think it's a lot worse in those decks than in the Assassins or in Riptide. And we'll see. Maybe Riptide's very good. If Riptide is good, this card will be a big part of why he's good. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I put it lower. But I could again, I could see moving this one up too. It's a card that I think is very, very strong. Yeah, it'd be number one if it blocked for three, and it wouldn't even be close at that point. If it blocked for three, it literally might be the perfect flesh and blood card that's ever been designed, but uh, unlucky it blocks for two. Okay. <laughs> so you uh, have so, that on your list, so am yeah. I going again? Is that what we're doing? Or How many cards do you have last na- left now? I have six left. I have five left, so you can go again. Okay, my number six is Lace with Blood Rot. So you talked about Melting Point being a very good arrow pump. I think Lace with Blood Rot, also a very good arrow pump. You're getting zero for three, which is great. And then on hit, you get a Blood Rot token, which again, is worth two more damage. So if your arrow hits, this is a zero for five. Just insane. Zero for three, still very good. If you want to pump your arrows, this is probably one of the best pumps we've seen in a long time. So I think it's better than Melting Point. doesn't block for three which is sad but it's just it's just great it's just very efficient gives you uh the best on hit of any pump spell so so it's number six yeah it's not on my list but yeah i do agree that it's very good um i guess like do you think lexi plays this card it's interesting i think the fuseless lexi probably wants this card but you have to be really careful because the more cards you play that don't work with three of a kind and don't work with rain raisers, mm-hmm. um, those are the two strongest cards in Lexi. You're really encouraged to build around those two cards. Um, I can see you not wanting this card in Lexi for those reasons. But I think if Lexi is struggling into aggressive decks and just needs more damage, needs to beat them in efficiency, then a zero for five pump is a great way to do that. That's fair. Yeah, okay. I can definitely see it. Yeah, zero for five, good rate, confirmed. Yeah, and I think Azalea and Riptide are definitely going to want this card. Lexi might not because again, three of a kind and Rain Razors both don't work very well with it, but the other two Rangers definitely will. Yeah. All right, well, what's your next card? If we're starting on the Rangers at uh, Riptide, we're going to go six. I combined all three of his specializations: Buzzsaw Trap, Collapsing Trap, and Spike Pick Trap into one slot on my list because i just don't want to fill up three slots on my list with stupid like sure they're good they're powerful but i'm not giving them three slots so combine them all into one like they should be and it takes one slot on my list 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I actually had Collapsing Trap as my number one before you said to combine them. I just kind of lumped the other two in with it when you said to combine them, though Buzzsaw Trap was like, kind of like it was like five or six and the other one didn't even make my list because it's just yeah like exactly that, that's why i have it on six mm-hmm. that isn't great so like they aver- they do average out to around six but classic trap is just so good yeah and buzzsaw trap has its spots where it's insane so like those two so like i was like those probably be like one two somewhere in the one through four slot those two cards and then I was just like, and then there's Spike Big Trap. We'll knock down two slots because uh, we're averaging <laughs> it out. And we'll just combine them all into one and talk about them. Because we all know they're good when you do the thing. And then there's Spike Big Trap. So, you know, sick. They're, they're all the same thing to me in Riptide. You're never not playing these in Riptide just because, like, they're blue block three defense reactions at worst. And when you do the thing, you, you do the thing, you know? So, yeah, not only are they blues, not only do they block three... They also trigger Riptide's ability to deal one damage. And then Collapsing Trap is pretty close to just eating another card and usually will make their hand even worse than just eating another card is. So like it's a zero for four that eats a card and probably downgrades their hand a little bit since like they're probably have a plan with their hand when they keep some number of go again attack into something and that plan is ruined, whatever it was. But such Trap can usually you're getting your four damage plus stopping like a couple points of damage. If you stop an E-Strike plus two, you're stopping two extra points of damage. You might stop like I don't know what else. There's a lot of random things that get pumped. Uh, against Azalea, it's very good. Yeah, against Azalea, it's good. Against Dorinthia, she might as well go home and not play with her Domblade anymore. Because uh, <laughs> even if it has like 20 counters, here's my uh, somehow here's my Domblade with 17 counters on it, coming in with my 20 power Domblade, and Buzzsaw Trap's like, nah. How about it's you coming use in for and I'm blocking it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like, oh. Okay. <laughs> Some some pretty powerful cards they put out of these traps, but and then yeah, the last trap, Spike Pit Trap, has the hardest condition to meet of them playing a reaction. Like how often are reactions being played and constructed? Not that often, not zero, but not that often. And then it has the worst effect of it's probably just gonna like burn up for like two extra damage or something. Yeah, you'll it's probably just like a zero for six at that point, because you trigger it and then you do the thing and then you burn them for like two. So like it's like good value when you do the thing, but it's just like fine and it's the hardest to do so it's just like eh. yeah it's it's kind of a strong statement when we're talking about the worst of them being like a zero for six sometimes and the rest of the time being a blue block three but that's just kind of how it is yeah it's just because the condition is so much harder than the other two like if the condition was like if it was blocking an attack that just like a unchain link two or higher or something like that or it's just like um if it blocked a weapon attack like there's so many like conditions they could have came up with uh that like compares the other two that are easier to fulfill but like i think like you were saying reactions are just the narrowest like ones that just don't happen all that often in flesh and blood at this point in time mm-hmm. all right what do you have uh so that that was your number six 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 yep okay uh i realized that my number five we already did a shakedown so uh you should go again okay uh so my next one is this this one i probably misplay i probably I, i'm looking at it now and I'm, i feel like this one snuck up a little too high uh <laughs> i saw the word codex and i was like oh yeah it has to be in my top five and uh it's codex of inertia which um i've been playing with this card a lot lately and it's like overperformed and 
I think if Arachne's playable, this will be one of the reasons why. It's because you give like your you play your contract card, you give it go again, you see their top card. And if they don't have an arsenal, like you can just put whatever crappy card into their arsenal. <laughs> and there will be times if like gems start seeing more play or whatever, like if Azalea doesn't have an arsenal in their top cards, like I have Ophidia, you win the game on the spot. Like no. against go. What do you mean no? How do they how does Azalea clear? An inertia token oh, that clears it? That's the whole the whole That's codex. the point. Oh, yeah. this card should not be on my list anymore. <laughs> Oops. I forgot about that gives the inertia token, so you don't even win the game when a gem goes in. That was the yeah. whole cute interaction that I thought was gonna be sick. Was put the gem in their thing and then they're like, oh no, I don't get an arsenal anymore. And then you're just like, aha, I did the thing. Azalea specifically can also clear it with her hero power, but everybody gets the inertia token to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah I, I think this is the worst ready to talk about the nine most powerful cards <laughs> <laughs> i think this is the worst of the three codexes i think it will have spots like you said in arachne i do think that that is an interaction i didn't consider and it's pretty strong especially since you're going to have a lot of zero for fours in arachne so you can like play your codex and just play whatever stupid zero for four you get off the codex and then clear your arsenal for the potter token um one thing to be careful about with these cards that create ponder tokens is the first ponder token, very, very good. The second ponder token in the same turn, significantly worse because you're already having a card to put in your arsenal. So like, while these codexes are all very, very strong when you create one ponder token, they're all significantly above rate when you're just making the one ponder token. This is the one that I think will see the least play because you don't want too many of the effect because the second ponder token, again, so much worse. And you can't like arsenal one, like you, if you have a hand of two, you can't like be like, I'm going to play one arsenal, the other one to play it next turn because that you you need to empty your hand for the codexes to work. And you also need to empty your hand for the ponder token to be worth anything. Yeah. I was also thinking the inertia tokens, the best to give against Icelander. Then I was like, Icelander could just respond to this and then get another free card in her arsenal. And you're just like, I'll play my freezing point. And I'll look at that. You gave me an ice bolt too. And woo, woo, woo. I'd be doing all the things. Thanks for the free card, idiot. <laughs> Wow. What are you going to do? We didn't think about cards critically before you put them on your top five? Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's, that is what you're going to do, I guess. That's, the, that's what I would recommend. Uh. <laughs> okay, my fourth most powerful card, and it's kind of crazy to me that this card is in fourth place because this card is like very, very powerful. And I was kind of talking about this earlier that I think like, there are quite a few very powerful cards in the set. My uh, fourth place is Premeditate. So this card says your next attack from Arsenal gets plus three, and then when your attack when an attack hits this turn, you get a Ponder token. So plus three, and then if any of your stuff hits this turn, draw a card. That sounds really familiar. Does that sound familiar to you? No. No, not at all. Never, never heard of such a card. No. Okay. Well, weird. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Plunder Run, which is a card that is banned because it's too good and oh, that's, that only sees play in blitz it's not it's not good enough for class constructed <laughs> and this card only really works consistently in rangers because you need an attack in arsenal and rangers are the only ones ones that have a way to put attacks in arsenal on your turn so like if you draw this you need an attack in arsenal if you're not a ranger so like basically nobody else is going to have an attack sitting in arsenal every turn of the game so it has a fail rate in every other deck but rangers they're just like I'll activate my bow and put this attack in arsenal. Great. Perfect. Clean. So, mm. uh, 
or be riptide and just like you play premeditate and then you just trigger his ability to put anything in arsenal and attack with it but yeah so discard insane plus three and draw a card when one of your attacks any of your attacks hit this turn yep it's not it's number three on my list cool what's your number four I'm going back to the world of ninjas now and bonds of ancestry. So this card's very good because the surging strike line has two forks in it. Usually you can go whelming gust wave into Mugenshi released into Lord of Wind, And that line's like fine. And you need Mugenshi release to like hit to get your Lord of the winds. It's like, it's, it's whatever, man. Uh, it's, it, you can deal out of damage sometimes, but most of the time, meh. And now you get this new one with um, that leads into Bonds of Ancestry with the new Gustwave card in Dishonor. And what's nice about it is that Descendant Gustwave, I couldn't remember the name of it, Descendant Gustwave always has go again. It's always just a one for three go again. So no matter what your hand is, you can always just go Kadachi, Kadachi, Descendant Gustwave, Bonds of Ancestry. And you have a zero cost in your uh, hand. If your descendant gust wave hits, you just go get a bonds of uh, ancestry, and then bonds of ancestry is like, oh, you see that stupid blue um, fluster fist you blocked with a million turns ago? Let's turn that into a red fluster fist and deal an extra four damage to your opponent for free after this. Does that sound good to you? And you're like, oh yeah, I'm in. I reward that stupid dishonor you blocked with before. Like whatever, like just attack with for four, even if like you don't remove their hero abilities, just still. Get a free four damage. So a lot of this time at red, this card just winds up being like a zero cost eight, which is like insane. And it blocks for three. Yeah, I've uh, I've put a lot of two block three for eights in my decks in the past. Uh, people might be familiar with that one. So zero for eight that blocks for three. I'm I'm in. This card's number three on my list. I think I just so I just flipped it with premeditate with you, and yeah, they're yeah. both very very good cards. <laughs> so yeah, I think that. Uh, this card single-handedly makes Katsu a playable deck. I don't think you could play Katsu before this card. I think if Katsu got nothing else except the new Gust Wave and this card, then he'd be good enough. I think the new Gust Wave is not on my list because I give that card's not that powerful by itself, but because it enables bonds, it's very blocks very for good. two. Yeah, <laughs> blocks for two, one for three with go again if you don't have the either the starter of Surging Strike or the follow-up of Bonds of Ancestry to turn it into a good card. So, yeah, I will yeah. say it's interesting that they opened up the design space so that uh, cards can be both the combo and the starter. So, like, uh, I think that was really good design, like opening it up so that just the combo lines have just more flexibility to them so that you just don't always have to go one, two, three, four. You can go two, three, four and still have a very powerful effect, but not the full effect because you didn't go one, two, three, four. I think that's like really, really, really good design for ninjas. And I hope we see more of that going forward. That that makes a lot of sense. I haven't gotten to play a ton with Katsu yet, um, but I do think that being able to go Descendant Gust Wave into Bonds of Ancestry without having your starter does add a lot of power to this card. And without that ability, I think this card would be notably weaker. But For sure. It's just very flexible and very powerful. So, yeah. Yeah. So I only have one card left. How many cards you got left? I have two because I've got Traps at my number one. So my number two is Codex of Frailty. That's my number one. Okay, so this card is very, very powerful. I think that we talked about how good collapsing trap and stuff is. And when all these situations line up, you like one for eight or something or zero for eight, basically. Uh, so this card doesn't need that much to go right for you to zero for eight somebody because um, 
essentially it is zero cost for draw two if it's the last card in your hand because you play it you get a zero cost back from your arsenal or from your discard pile and put it into your arsenal and then you create a ponder token then you play the zero cost and then end of turn your ponder token resolves you draw a card and it also has upside that it can kind of mess up your opponent because they have to they also have to do it if they have an empty arsenal they have to put an attack from their discard pile into their arsenal and then they discard a card just very good um the frailty token is not too impactful but they are probably putting an attack into their arsenal that now gets minus one if they play it so it's slightly there's some small upside to the frailty token but the main thing is getting back a card and getting that ponder token and then we talked about its interaction with death touch earlier where if you have a tunic counter and just this card in hand you play it you get back your death touch you tunic you play the death touch and it's just you're spending a tunic resource and a card for six damage with an on hit of two more damage and a ponder token. Just crazy value. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's not to say like anything like uh, for like these effects that only come in majestic, these really powerful uh, attacks that they're usually limit to only have three of it in your deck. Uh, normally, if you wanted to get more of these, you had to put a card like remembrance in your deck. We all know how we feel about remembrance around here. And now you can just turn any old uh, card in your deck if you have cards in your hand, basically. And sometimes just the Codex Frailty of it by itself, if you don't have any other cards in your hand, uh, into the best attack in your deck, um, as long as it's in your graveyard, which is a very, very, very powerful interaction. And... I can't imagine a world where this card is just not an automatically three of in every ranger and assassin deck going forward from now until until it gets banned. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's we'll it's, it's very good. Yeah. yeah, this is if I had to guess a card that uh, is getting banned in this format, I think this is my number one guess of a card that would be banned in this uh, or from the set. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very strong. So that was your number one. We don't know your number two yet. Death Touch. Oh, what what card are we missing from you? My five, because I didn't have one. <laughs> Wait, so so we were through all your cards? Yeah. Because you said I, you had two left. Yeah. And then I talked about Codex Frontex, I only had one left. And you said it was your number one. Yeah, I must have misspoke. I have one left. Okay. So we're done? That's all of them? Yeah, you don't have any more cards? Nope. Okay. You want to talk about what's not on our list? There's a lot of cards that are on my list. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a big one, and I think this is going to be the first set where it's not going to be the case. But neither of us have any legendary equipment on our top ten most powerful cards of the set. Oh, I thought we weren't doing equipment. Oh, I I mean, like if you did equipment, which one would make your list even? I think the best one is Flick Knives. I think Assassin's not having an arm piece and going to having an arm piece is a pretty big deal since there's no good generic arm pieces still. And you think it's more <laughs> powerful than... Uh, you think you would find a spot on it on your list then? Probably. I think it does... Like, it combined with the new Majestic uh, Attack Reaction Dagger is really powerful. In that, like, or the, defense, the one that makes defense reactions that block weaker. The fact that you can Flick Knives in response to their defense reaction and debuff the incoming defense reaction basically is a really powerful interaction that make that makes defense reactions a lot worse against assassins than they would be otherwise sure but like we just jumped through all these hoops and you know how much i'm loving jump through hoops 
And you've gotten now two value out of your arm piece, and if you block with it, you get a third. And you've blown up one of your weapons in order to yeah. accomplish this. And you're but, not guaranteed to get another one back. I think it would be a lot higher on it if, like, I, I remember when spoilers were coming out, and there was one last ninja assassin majestic, and I was like, okay, we got concealed blade, which is like a conditional way, but that'll just give it like, just give me like a yellow. Your next dagger attack gets plus one or two or something like that. Some marginal buff you may equip uh, a dagger from your inventory, not attack action that blocks for two, like. You can make it red even. Just like some way that is an unconditional way after you've blown up one of your like daggers, I think really hinders uh this cart like flick knives power level in my mind. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. Because like it's not guaranteed that like you'll even get your second thing. And like, there's a real cost if like you blow up your weapon or something like that in the mid game. And then like you get to the, like the end game and you're like, Oh, well I only have one dagger left that I can poke with. Like I would like a Kadachi lock with two Kadachis, very powerful. A Kadachi lock with one Kadachi, not very good. So like there's a, there's a very real cost to using it. And like when we compare it to like the other legendary equipment that heroes have access to in the game, I just struggle to think of it as like one of the most powerful pieces of equipment uh, in the game right now. Yeah, I I think I would be hard pressed to see you build an assassin deck that doesn't use these gloves because I think like, I guess like we kind of joked about a Talishar assassin. If you're playing Talishar assassin, then maybe you're not playing <laughs> Slick Knives. But I think there's a real consideration to be playing Goliath Gauntlet. Even if you're just playing two, two uh, daggers? Yeah. Like I said, like I think the most you're going to get out of this is like three, and you have to like do a lot to get three out of it. I feel like I think most games you're just going to get two out of it. Where at some point when your opponent gets low, you're just going to be like, "Oh, I'm at pretty low too. I'm going to want to block with this soon. I'm just going to throw a dagger to get my one point of damage across, and then I'm going to block with it for one." And like you're just going to like, I think the vast majority of games you'll get two value out of this like equipment. I could I don't really think you're going to get more than it very often. Yeah, I think I think the two points of value plus like occasionally you make their defense reactions awkward. Maybe they want to block your six power thing with their two block equipment plus a D react. Then you have the threat of the attack reaction on it to throw the nerve scalpel at him. I think that is enough that getting, yeah, but your opponent like knows about it, right? Right, right. But it makes their hands more awkward because they have to like hedge around it. They can't use their defense reactions as well as they would want to. And defense reactions like. In theory, you think your defense reactions are really good against Usury because, like, she does these tricks, then you have defense reactions to cover them up. But, like, having access to this kind of counterplay just built into your equipment is nice. And I think, like, the fact that you have that, then you also are probably going to get two points of value out of it is better than just, like, the flat two damage you're going to get out of Goliath gauntleting some two-power thing at some point. Okay. And- M- move all of my numbers up one, and we'll take Codex of Inertia off, and we'll put Flick Knives in number 10. You- Sure. And again, I don't think we we didn't do equipment in the last ones because it's really hard to compare equipment to other random cards in the deck. Like I think Flick Knives will be in every assassin deck or basically every assassin deck. And I guess I feel like all these other cards will be in a deck. Yeah, we skipped Uprising because like it just was weird. Like that set was just like all over the place and it's hard to do upper supplemental sets. Or no, sorry, we skipped Dynasty. 
I always yeah. get those two confused. We skipped Dynasty, but we did Uprising. And it's just because like, but like when you look at the equipment in that set, you got like Flame Scale Furnace, you have Crown of Providence, like an Uprising. Have, did I did I swip the two again? I, I might have gotten I might have gotten in my head because you were saying Uprising and Dynasty a bunch. So and the set that has Phi, Icelander, yeah. <laughs> Dromine. <laughs> um, you got Crown of Providence. You got Flamescale Furnace. You got Coronet Peak. You got like some really good, really, really good equipment in that set. You also have Ghostly Touch, but you know, whatever. But like, <laughs> I would say Ghostly Touch is about on par with every single other legendary piece of equipment on this set. Maybe Flix Knives is like, one notch above it but i think that's it there and like if this is the design space for legendary equipment going forward like they're just toning it down a little bit so that way it's not so concentrated here and then like they so like the word on the street on the early box breaks is that you get less majestics per box now compared to early prior sets and so like if they're starting to like adjust the knob a little bit so that's less top heavy in the legendaries going forward and be going to be centered more around these like powerful majestics i think that's a good way to start balancing out the secondary market because like if we're talking about like fabled's being problematic because there's not a lot of them and they're too expensive and it feels bad i mean like it's getting to the point where legendaries are also problematic because they're too expensive and it feels bad and like you get more play out of them and they're more impactful in decks and stuff like that than like a one of token or one of card in your deck but like it still doesn't change the fact that like the barrier to entry is very real when tunic's approaching like 350 dollars and yeah who wants to show up 500 dollars for their chest and their hat the tunic and their crown of problems it's like yeah uh, not not great so um while we didn't like i'm not like i'm saying the, the equipment in the set is not as powerful as the legendary equipment that we've seen in the past but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and yeah if lss wanted to tone down especially like if you think about like what they just said in the last minute uh suspended announcement where they're like we, we really don't want to ban legendary equipment so then like what like you can't it's really dangerous to push power levels and boundaries in legendary equipment when they're rare, they're expensive, and you don't want to ban them. So I'm fine with them toning it down a power level one or two. And then once they get rid of unique fables, I think the game will be in a super healthy spot for uh, you know, the secondary market overall, but we'll see. Yeah. So one card that wasn't on your list was the new fabled. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit before, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. What are your thoughts around it? I need to play with it. I'm worried that it should be on my list. Um, I didn't want to put it on my list without playing with it first um, because I don't want to, it's not a card that I really want to overhype and then have it bust for many reasons. Uh, you know, like if we overhype, like, you know, Codex of Inertia or whatever, and people waste their like, ten dollars on pre-order prices for it like no that sucks a little bit but like that uh, meh but like if we overhype the fable then people spend like 350 dollars pre-order prices for this fable or whatever and then it winds up being like not good like that's gonna feel bad for a lot of people yeah. uh 
So, but I, I, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it until I had actually like played with the card or yeah, tested that, it some. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess real quick, I, I thought it was broken when we kind of heard the spoilers where it sounded like the first leak of the card where people were like just typing in text what it did. It sounded like you got to choose which token you made. And if you get a yellow pitch that does two damage to them every time you pitch it, <laughs> that that's really good. But a random random token's definitely worse than that because the other two tokens are again worse than the blood rock cards. That's why the blood rock cards are the ones that made my list. And when we talked about death touch, we talked about how valuable it is when you choose a blood rock counter mode on it. And like occasionally you choose the other modes, but it's definitely worse than just doing two damage when you pitch it. And I I don't know how much it's not by much because of that. I don't think it's by much. And um, so like it's worse than getting two damage a lot of the time. But I like I was saying, I think people underestimate how good frailty tokens are overall because like there are lots of circumstances where you'll net more like damage prevention from like it's against a ranger if you make a frailty token and like they play two or three arrows against you. It's already better than uh, a blood rot token in that regard. You got you got three value off of it. Obviously, the like one third of the time you'll get they'll have an inertia token, and like that's not the most impactful thing in the world. But you have but like it turns on all of your codexes at that point. So like all of your effects that like force them to like mess with their hand and discard effects, or like you you want your opponent to have like empty arsenals to maximize the value for these codex effects from your opponent. Um, so like. I think even inertia tokens are good. So like if like all three of the modes are like reasonable, I think it's like it would get to the point where it's just like, why not just start every assassin deck with this fabled at that point if it's good? And mm. that's a horrible place for a fable to be. Like if it if it's like if we look at like the assassin card pool, it's already so small and like there's already like so many like cards that are like marginal and a lot of the time so it's just like i i I don't think this card is problematic for rangers like if this was just a ranger fable i'd be like more okay with it but the fact that a class with a very limited card pool that is struggling for power already has access to it and if it's good like it just becomes an auto occlude in that class that that's not good like that's that's not what i want for a fabled at all yeah we were both very big fans of the Command and Conquer Fable, right? You were a big fan of that. Yeah, because like, like sorry, go ahead. Just like the collector's edition version of like constructed staples. I'd love to see that for Artivore. I'd love to see that for Enlightened Strike. Those are kind of the two generics that come to mind that like are good now, will always be good, will always be at index. Um and what we were just talking about last week, or when we were talking about our overrated cards, sorry, two weeks ago now, like I felt like heart of find all is overrated because it's good in one deck and like i think we agree that it gives you like one to two percent equity in iceland or whatever Mm -hmm. but like if this gives you like three to five percent equity between the win rate percentages between the assassin decks that have this and the assassin decks that don't that's not okay and like i could see a world where you get that much difference in equity between the assassin decks that run this and the assassin decks that don't like but I definitely want to play with it first before making a claim like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it does have cost like any other gem. It's a, it's a yellow, but like all of your assassin weapons cost two to swing anyway. So 
like you're just gonna swing your dagger with this coming with your zero cost stealth card or whatever and then uh swap it in an usury or then play your zero for four contract card in arachne um and just getting that like small incremental value in like decks that are already like looking to go kind of longer anyways like the, like they're not looking to just finish the game in first like a lot of the time these like I guess Arachne really isn't like specifically because he's trying to like banish cards and play the super long game. I don't know. <laughs> I'm rambling at this point, but yeah, uh, I've said my piece. I guess art's good. Yeah. Art looks sick. <laughs> I barely looked at the art. As same with most. It's cards. got like a Daft Punk skull. It's like if Daft Punk was a skull man. Okay, I don't know what that means. Yeah, you don't know good music. <laughs> oh. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap things up then, Michael? This looks sweet. Cards are strong. New decks are good. I'm excited to play with it some more. So hopefully assassins are better than I think they are. But the, the, yeah, the other I'm, new- I'm working on Arachne right now pretty heavily. Um, I think we explored Usury a lot early and then we kind of just were like, yeah, whatever about Arachne. So I'm lo- looking to just like test some stuff, play a little bit of Rackney here in the next week or two and see how it all shakes out. And yeah, but yeah, th- 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 I think everybody everybody and that knows anything about Flesh and Blood at this point knows that like Azalea is going to be a tier one deck or like a tier like 1.5 deck. Like it's just going to be like a very, 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 very powerful thing to be doing in this game right now. Yeah, she got a lot of new tools and they're, the new tools are very strong. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks very much for watching. And the next time you're testing your outsider's cards, always to remember, find your manners. Thanks for watching. Mm-hmm.